In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Nancy Denke. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Nancy about her nursing career, which has led to her study of toxicology and a passion for collaboration with the patient care team. When it comes to solving the puzzle of what did my patient get into, Nancy is an expert in this field. This episode is called Talking Toxicology, a Recipe for Disaster. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals, but most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hello, Holly. Good to be with you again. Great to have you. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Nancy Denke. Nancy is a nurse practitioner living in Arizona where she's focused in on the topic of toxicology and teaching, which is exactly what she will be doing in May of this year at BCN Learn Live in Dallas. Super excited to get some time with Nancy now and then. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Nancy? Yeah, I would be happy to. Nancy, I've actually known for a little bit as she did a webinar for BCN and um, just did a fantastic job presenting on toxicology. And so I'm really excited we get to uh, know her a little bit better on this podcast. She's a nurse practitioner, as you mentioned, in the Phoenix area. She's in Scottsdale, Arizona. She's lived and worked all over the U.S., She grew up in New York and went to Penn State as an undergrad, and years later, she'd returned to school at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, to earn her master's in nursing as a clinical nurse specialist, and then return a year later to earn her family nurse practitioner. She worked as a nurse practitioner in the ED um, throughout Colorado, and then um, when her husband transferred to the Phoenix area, she landed a job as the first trauma nurse practitioner for the system and then transitioned over to a neurostroke position, and for the last five years has been working in a small toxicology practice in the Scottsdale area. Nancy also received her acute care nurse practitioner from St. Louis University and a DNP in leadership innovation at Arizona State University, where she has been teaching in the doctorate program from uh, 2014. Nancy, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Good morning, Michael. Thanks. I, I'm really excited about this. I think that I want people to get excited about toxicology as much as I have. So, Well, you definitely have a passion for it. And I want to um, hone in on that in just a second. But you have been a nurse and worked in a number of areas uh, across the U.S. I know you did a lot of traveling and moving um, throughout your career. But could you tell us a little bit of more about some of those places you worked and then uh, ultimately how you honed in on this topic of toxicology. It all started after getting out of school. My, you would think that um, we were military the way that we moved around, but my husband works in higher education. So we moved um, where his jobs ended us. So after getting out of school, we moved to Kansas where we spent about nine, 10 years, which I loved and loved the emergency department that I um, worked in. And I have to say that that is where um, I first took the CEN exam. Uh, No one else in our department, other than my one friend and I decided that the first year, and I'm really dating myself, I guess, 
we took the CEN exam. We had nothing to um, study from. We studied from what um, ASAP had out there and we passed. And since that time, I've kept my certification. We went from Kansas to North Carolina, where the docs there, um, I worked at Wake Medical Center in Raleigh, and the docs there um, wanted to open a PEDS ED, and they were the ones that got me with the bug to go back to get my nurse practitioner. And of course, my husband made the decision that he wanted to move up, and so we ended up then moving from North Carolina to Colorado, where I then worked in the emergency department as a nurse practitioner, but also in an indigent pediatric clinic, which gave me some really good foundation for taking care of kids. We spent, oh, a good 10 years there. And then we ended up moving to the Scottsdale area where my husband works for um, the state. And I work now as this toxicology nurse practitioner. I was, when I first moved down here, I worked at a system where I was working as a clinical nurse specialist, but um, we had some money problems within the system. And so my job was eliminated and went to where I am now in the system and took on the job as the trauma nurse practitioner. Did that for about, oh, eight to nine years. Um, my friend left the neurostroke position. She said, why don't you do that? So I said, okay, I'm always up for something new. And I I think that that's what's the good piece about being a nurse, that you could do all these neat things and you can always change what you're doing and you can always learn something new. So I took care of her job for a while. And then one of the ER docs, who is now the doc that I work with, came to me and said, hey, you know, I need some help um, with my practice. And I said, well, that's good, but I have no idea about toxicology. And he said, yes, you do. You're a nurse. You've got the foundation. You know how to take care of the patients in the emergency department. From trauma, you know how to take care of the patients on the floor. He said, and I can just teach you all these other things. And the things that I can't teach you, you know, we'll learn together. And that's where I am right now. That is awesome, Nancy. I love how, you know, you started out in one thing and kind of got your feet wet and got some knowledge and some experience, but then you ultimately moved into something that you didn't know that that was going to be the the passion for your career, but then it was, and it is. And I, I think that toxicology is just such an interesting subject. It's, it's crazy to me how over the years there are just, and it sounds crazy to say, but there's just trends in ingestions and toxicology and like having to figure out um, almost like new ways that people poison themselves. Um, if that <laughs> sounds right. I mean, it's again, it sounds crazy to say that, but it's just true. Um, I mean, we've seen, you know, we went through a string of like where the Tide Pods were like the the thing to do. And I did not understand that at all. Um, but at the same time, I definitely had to take care of a couple of patients who decided that was something they were going to try. Um, but what are some of the things that you have found that have been persistent and maybe kind of like long standing toxicology issues that you've come across and you've really seen like, this is something people really need to understand because it's not going away. You know, the one thing that won't go away, um, and that's the number one worldwide is Tylenol. I mean, people think just because it's over the counter that it's safe, you know, Motrin um, is another drug that will be there. But Motrin doesn't do as bad or leave the bad side effects as what Tylenol does. 
And because they think it's over the counter that they can take it, you know, for, especially for teens, it's readily available and they will look it up online and find out how much they can take before they can get really sick for it to cause them to have really bad side effects. But some of the stuff that's online is not giving them all the information. And a lot of them will not tell anybody that they ingested this. They will wait. And then all of a sudden they wake up, they have belly pain, they're having vomiting, they're having really bad nausea. After speaking to them when they come to the hospital or their parents finally figure it out, you know, they may have ingested a toxic amount that they end up having to either, number one, be started on NAC or the N-acetylcysteine. Number two, they may end up with um, one of the newer drugs for meprazole so that we can help detoxify them a little better. Or number three, that they end up being dialyzed because not only does it affect their livers, but it affects their kidneys too. So it's not that over the counter, oh, it's okay. It's not going to cause me harm. Um, I think Tylenol is probably the biggest thing. One of the other things that I'm seeing, you know, I'm not going to blow off the older um, people, but I'm looking at the adolescents right now and Benadryl and like cough medicines is their big go-to. You know, we learned back the mid 2000s um, and then recently the cough medicines that what they will do is put them into their a coffee cup and drink all day long so that they could kind of have this euphoria um, and make them feel really good. Benadryl is really easy to get over the counter and they will use the Benadryl to um, have that euphoria. But then um, Benadryl makes you crazy. You know enough what anticholinergics look like. You know, they're red as a beet, mad as a hatter. And mad as a hatter really is the true piece to what's going on, um, especially with the Benadryl overdoses. So I think that those are a big thing. Little kids, gummies. We've seen an increase in the amount of gummy ingestions because they look like candy. And if dad and mom can have them, why can't I? And, you know, they'll be put away, but Little kids, toddlers especially, they're like monkeys. They could climb, get to wherever you need to go. They watch exactly where you put things and they'll climb up onto the um, countertops and get into wherever it's been stored. So that's a big thing. And then we know about hand sanitizer. That's like um, alcohol on steroids. Um, that's another piece to get ingested. So those are my big things um, that I'm seeing that you think that aren't really bad, but they can end up with really bad um, outcomes too. Thank you for sharing those, Nancy. And all of the components that you mentioned are what I would consider like a straightforward, and that that might not be the terminology for it, but like a mm -hmm. straightforward ingestion. Like they come in and they have a this high amount of a specific medication. But you and I have talked before that this profession of nursing and this sub-profession, I would say, of toxicology within nursing you really have to be a detective and a nurse at the same time. Yeah. And some of these people don't come in with a straightforward ingestion. They don't, I mean, you don't even know what, what it is that's causing their symptoms. And on top of that, sometimes they have other chronic conditions. They're taking medications that have perhaps interacted with whatever they ingested that have then caused their, their condition. So how do you like go through this whole detective thing of deciphering their history and their assessment and all that 
when it seems like every time we turn around, there's more chemicals that are being released. There's more drugs that are coming to market. There's more substances. How do you keep all this stuff in order in your head? How do you, well, how do you get through it all? Sometimes it's not straightforward in that respect. And, you know, sometimes I hear from the docs, how did you get that information? And, you know, the number one is, you know, just because they ingested something doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Even if they're using street drugs, they're not a bad person. And if you sit down and you talk to them, first of all, if they're awake enough, they'll be more than willing to tell you what they've done, how they've done it. And, you know, I've even learned how to make some of this stuff that they're making out there. But, you know, treating them as a human being, I think that that's the top piece of it, because once you treat them as a human being, then they will give you whatever information that you need and be able to tell you. Now, it's the ones that are altered and out of it or really crazy, that is really hard to do because you're trying to figure out, number one, what's going on with the patient, but number two is how can I treat them safely? And that's the bottom line is that we need to make sure that if we don't know anything, we're going to treat that patient. We may not be treating the substance that they do. We treat the patients and we need to make sure that we take care of the ABCs. And then, you know, the D, especially with kids or even for adults is looking at what their glucose levels are. So just making sure that you go back to your basics, you keep them safe, and then you keep yourself safe, and then you take care of your ABCs. The other pieces that I look at are number one, do they have a toxic drone that I can kind of figure out? Is it their sympathomyometic that their heart rates are up, their, you know, um, pinpoint pupils that I'm thinking maybe they have a opiate or what drugs did they have available to them? Is that's what's causing it? And a lot of times they have lots of drugs that are available to them. So is it this drug or that drug? And again, I'm not going to treat the drug. I'm going to treat what's going on with my patient. I look at their labs and I, I, you know, I really treat, teach the nurses to do that. Look at their vital signs and look at their labs. The labs aren't there just for the docs. And a lot of the docs don't pay attention to those things. You know, you're alcoholic. Oh, just because they're an alcoholic, I'll just kind of give them some fluids, give them a little bit of that event, get them, you know, calm down and go on my merry way. But the other pieces are that we need to look at their electrolytes because number one, they don't eat very well. They may have an anion gap. So, you know, maybe they ran out of money to drink um, regular alcohol. So now they're going to get some radiator fluid or some antifreeze or what have you. And now they are really an ethanol glycol ingestion and not just an ingestion of alcohol. And we really need to be very cognizant of that so that they don't end up in renal failure. My piece is that I try to sit with the nurses and talk to them and explain to them, okay, these are the things that we need to look at. Well, how did you know that? Well, I know that this drug can cause these kind of things and knowing what those drugs are and some of the side effects will help. But I don't care about, you know, what the half-life of that drug is. I care about is it going to cause them problems with their liver? Is it going to cause them problems with their kidneys? Are their liver and kidneys working well enough to kind of deplete what's going on? So there's a lot of other little things that I kind of look at that sometimes in emergency medicine, we can't do because we don't have enough time because there's always someone else waiting for them. For me, being able to take the time to be that detective and to look up all those things and then go to the nurses and 
try to educate them along with educating the physicians. I think that we as a team in this collaborative practice can work really well. But again, safety first for you and the patient and just making sure you take care of ABCs. I think you can do a lot better um, taking care of these people. Nancy, I love how you like come back to your assessment, come back to talking to your patient. And really those are going to be the keys that'll help you get to maybe an understanding of how that patient, what is causing, what's the root cause of their symptoms Mm -hmm. and, and their presentation. But really it's, it's going back to those pretty basic concepts within nursing and within patient care. And so it's like, once you get to like, this is what is causing this, or this is, you know, this is kind of the, the ingestion that we're dealing with. One of the things that I have seen that nurses can get concerned about is when the treatment is actually something that maybe they've never done before, never seen before. And I, as a baby nurse, I remember being told, and it, it definitely came in use that if you have to grab multiple vials of anything, you really should question that order. <laughs> like if you mm-hmm. have to, if you have to go and, and pull a bunch of things to administer and it's, you know, more than a few vials, you really should question that order and question the dose. But there are treatments like high-dose insulin or uh, multiple vials of atropine that are used in the treatment of these um, ingestions, specific ingestions. So have you encountered this? And really like in your role, how do you help kind of overcome that concern or that fear that the treatment is actually appropriate for what is this toxic ingestion? Wow, that's a great question because- You know, sometimes, again, it's that trust factor. It's not only the trust factor that you have with with your patient, but the trust factor that you have with the staff that you work with. And I've been pretty lucky because I, you know, I have been a nurse practitioner within um, the network. I, you know, I work at three different hospitals right now. And one of them, I've been with them for almost 20 years. And so, yes, I've seen staff move around, but there's still some core staff. And so those core staff will say, oh, good, Nancy's here. Nancy will take care of this. And so they've learned to trust me. And I think that that has a lot to do with when I give them them an order, they understand it. Even when the docs, because there's sometimes the docs don't know what to do. They may have learned it in in their practice um, as a resident, but they kind of forgot about it because there's other things that they're trying to remember. And emergency medicine person, you're a generalist. You have to know everything about everything. And for me, I'm, I've gotten to the point that I've kind of narrowed things down. And so some of those things that they kind of remember, but don't remember are always there. The other piece that helps, you know, if you have a pharmacist in your emergency department, having that pharmacist be another brain there to help out. And if they're hearing or seeing that you and the emergency doctor and the pharmacist are all talking together and making these decisions as a collaborative kind of thing, people will do what needs to be done at that point in time, because it's not just, well, Nancy said, and so I'll do it. It's not because we all work together to make those decisions. Do we think we need to do another thing? And then the other piece is when I am at a standstill, you know, I call Dr. Kwan and say, help me out here. I'm not sure what else to do. We've done this, this, and this. And he'll say, oh, just go give him another dose. And it's like, you know, that could kill a bull, but you know, we see what some of these people um, have ingested and sometimes you're not going to kill that bull because it's way past there. So I think number one is going to be people trust you. 
you get a rapport with them, you collaborate with the nurse, the pharmacist, the doc, whoever else is there, and making sure that you can get a game plan together and that they see that that's, it's based on the evidence that it's going to get this patient to the best place that they can be. Yeah, I think that's a perfect response, Nancy, is that, collabor- <laughs> that collaborative effort with each one of them. And I've run into that situation myself a few times when the nurse is like, that's way too high of a dose. I don't feel comfortable. You push that or whatever. And just getting somebody else on the phone to help reaffirm mm-hmm. I, it is high for most people, but in this case, it's what's needed. It it just makes everybody feel a lot better about some of these things we have to do. And I did want to ask you about some unique situations. So, you know, you're talking about medication ingestion. You talked about ingesting hand foam or uh, like the rubbing alcohol, these type of things, but there's also toxic substances outside of chemical compounds like plants and animals that have toxins or produce these systemic effects. So just out of curiosity in your practice, and again, because you live in the Southwest area and you have both animals and plants that can produce toxins, do you have any interesting stories or interesting encounters from an animal or a plant toxin? You know, plants, not as much. I I don't know why. I mean, maybe our stuff is not as pretty as everywhere else because, you know, cactus, yes, and it's not really a toxin, um, but they cause you to get the um, cactus needles in you. And then again, uh, what's that tape called? Um, oh gosh, I just lost the name. Anyway, using tape to pull out those needles are not fun. I can tell you that everybody knows about rattlesnakes and the stay away from them and taking care of them. But you know, people don't understand about scorpions. Scorpions, they may be small, but they're mighty. And especially they're mighty against the youngest of our species and the oldest of our species. Middle-aged people, young people, we do pretty good with scorpion stings, but um, the kids don't do very well. And I can tell you, I had one kid that looked like the exorcist. So scorpion stings cause neurotoxicity. And so you will see that they have, their cranial nerves are all um, out of whack at this point in time. So you'll see kids having a lot, I can't even describe how many secretions that they have, so that you're sitting there suctioning them. You touch them and this electricity goes through them and they can't sit. They um, look like they're seizing, but they're really not seizing. They have their pupils, they have what what's, is called opsoclonus. So it's, you know, we talk about nystagmus making their eyes go side to side, but this is making their eyes not only go side to side, but kind of rolling around. And it's scary. It's not scary only for the parents. It's scary for the nurses. It's scary for the physicians. And it's scary for me because these kids can get in a lot of trouble along with the older people can get in a lot of trouble because of their airways and because their airways get compromised. Remember I said cranial nerves, and we're talking about not only eyes, but all the secretions causing them to have airway difficulties. So there is a anti-venom, just like there's an anti-venom for snake bites. But the anti-venom, unfortunately, um, a lot of insurances will not pay for it. And a vial of the anti-venom, depending on where you get it, is between one and $3,000. And so having that conversation sometimes with patients um, that come in, And yes, they have the burning and stinging and even the numbness. Those aren't going to be those bad symptoms. The bad symptoms are the ones that come in with the airway compromise. And those are the people or those are the patients that I need to make sure that I'm giving them anti-venom. 
and making sure that I document well that hopefully the insurance company will pay for. But these kids, you end up, I've learned, and um, I can tell you, excuse my French, but I get sphincter control at this point in time because I give them a vial of antivenom. It goes in over about 10 minutes, but then waiting for that medication to work. And sometimes it takes almost an hour to work. There are some places that will give ding, ding, ding with the vials. And a lot of times you don't need to do it. A lot of times you need to just, again, watch the patient, treat the patient, make them safe. And then at like 55 minutes, all of a sudden, this kid will wake up and say, can I have something to eat? Or, you know, what's going on? Why are you looking at me? It's it's just like this light switch went off. And it's wow. really kind of cool to see, but it's really painstaking for parents and for us. So, you know, scorpions are one of the things that um, come to mind. Oleanders around here, you might see it in the South a lot more also, and it gives you kind of ditch um, effects. And I've had two kids with oleander ingestions, not only the flowers, but um, the leaves. Again, just watching them. And those are the big things. So if I had to pick, I'd pick scorpions over um, plants. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I have seen a, some video of a couple of children that had scorpion scorpion stings, uh, like you're mentioning with those the eye movement and the constant jerking and twitching that does look a lot like a persistent seizure. And it's scary just watching the video. I can't imagine being the nurse trying to administer the antivenom and, and taking care of that patient. So yeah, and that's why I stay with the, the patient and with the nurses, you know, just to help them again, make sure that they know that they are as responsible as I am. I'm going to be there with you and go through this. Um, and I and that's where I've kind of built up some of the trust too with them. Well, you have worked in a number of areas, uh, as you mentioned, across the United States. And I know you're not only working in toxicology now, but you're also instructing at Arizona State University. And you have done quite a bit and you've inspired quite a few others. And we certainly appreciate that, but who's inspired you? Is there a certain person, maybe a patient, maybe a moment in your career? We always like to ask our podcast guests, if there's somebody that's really made an impact on you as a professional. You know, there's been many people and there's two that I can think of. Um, One was a nurse in the emergency department when I was 10 years old. My brother ended up going through a window and getting sliced pretty well um, in his arms because he went through the glass window and brought his arm back. And at that point in time, there was no EMS system. So my neighbor, my, you know, my father was at work. My mother was at the grocery store. You know, my grandfather that lived with us didn't drive. So my neighbor, you know, drove us to the hospital. And this woman um, that was in the emergency department, thank God she knew my, her dad and my dad worked together. So, you know, she was able to take care of me that way. But I went with my brother and I just watched what they were doing and had a great time. And she said to me at that point in time, you know, you are going to make a great nurse and allowed me as a candy striper to work in the emergency department and to be able to see what was going on. And then the second person probably is Frank Cole. Um, I don't know if any of you know Frank, but Frank was a nurse practitioner. Um, He helped lead the first EMP um, tracks. And he was really good friends with one of my instructors at Carolina. When I was in the family nurse practitioner program, and I was in this really the CNS track, Randy said to me, did Frank not teach you well enough? 
that this is not what you want to do. You want to be a nurse practitioner. And I think um, I think that that was the best piece because while Frank was alive, you know, we worked together. We did some things with ENA. We were able to help with procedures. And I always said I wanted to be just like Frank. So I think those are the two people that have made a big difference in my life. That is awesome. I think it's interesting to to hear the reflection of not only when you were a child, you know, like having an experience watching someone just, you know, do their job and do it well. And then that is something that really just sticks with you. You may not remember that person's name. You may not remember like the, all the finer details, but just watching them as a young person give care and do it well and make you feel comfortable to where you felt like, you know, yes, the situation itself was not great, but I had, I had a good time. I learned and I was able to kind of go through a difficult situation, but in the best way, because someone took the time to make me feel comfortable and to educate and to kind of move through that. So I think that's really, really cool. And and it's always impactful to me that as we journey on our career and, and we move into different places and different specialties and different parts of our, our professional journey, someone comes along and they encourage and challenge and, and really push you to grow. And then those people, I, I think sometimes that they don't even realize in that moment, how much that is going to stick with you, like how mm-hmm. much their just belief kind of almost like they, they see this future vision of who you can be. And then them just kind of challenging you to grow. I really think that they don't realize in the moment, maybe what they're doing, but it becomes something that you reflect on and you realize, man, thank you for being that person for me. Um, and so um, th- that question always just, it makes me reflect on those people who've, who've helped me along the way, but I'm also just, sometimes we don't even know the person's name or sometimes we do know that person's name, but either way, I don't think they knew in that time that like, oh, I'm really going to impact this person for the rest mm-hmm. of their career, but yet they do. So thank you for sharing that, Nancy. I really appreciate that. Um, I do have a few questions. This is kind of like our rapid fire questions and really they're about like your favorites and just to get us to know you a little bit better because we could talk, I could honestly sit on this podcast and we could talk about toxicology. You could tell us all the weird and crazy and unique and awesome things that you've done, but I also want to get to know you just outside of that. So if you were not doing what you would currently do, what would be like another role that you, you know, you could do anything, let's say, what would it be if you were not doing what you currently do? Well, if I had to pick another role, it would still be staying and doing something with nursing, you know, maybe working with them one-on-one. And that I, that's probably why I went to the Clint's back piece so that I could sit by the nurses and teach them. But you know what, if I wasn't a nurse, then I, probably would be in a bake shop and making um, baked goods. Cause I think that always makes people feel good. And they, you know, nobody ever comes to a bakery and complains it with you. So I think that that would be the best thing. Okay. I have to ask what it, what is it that makes you happiest to bake? Um, because lemons are out. Uh, I've been making lemon bars um, and anything that has lemons to do with it. You know, they're um, they make everybody happy and everybody loves lemon bars. So that's my go-to right now. I wish we were closer. We could get some lemon bars, Michael. Yeah, um, you, get, you could come. But let me tell you, um, I unfortunately, you know, made some to bring to um, somebody that brought me the lemons because, you know, my neighbors give it to me. And then it's like, oh, could you make me these? Or somebody else wants them too. So, 
So you already have orders at your non-existent bakery, <laughs> your home bakery, I should say. <laughs> awesome. Well, in keeping with that, I'm going to ask you a few of your p- favorites. So what, um, what's your favorite book? And again, this can be a book that you're reading currently that you really um, would recommend or just your favorite book all time. All right. Well, it's not one favorite. It's just probably an author. I don't know if you've ever read Jana Ivanovich's books, but they have to do with, a, you know, a person that's, you know, from the East Coast. And I just feel like I'm living her life because I could see some of my family um, in the things that she does. Um, and this is a Bales Bondsman that's going after somebody. It's easy reading and fun. And, you know, you could read probably the book in one night. It has nothing to do with what I work with. I enjoy one, authors who write in such a way that I am making the book come alive in my mind and that Mm -hmm. it's like easy. Um, I also enjoy when it's different than things that I do on a professional level. So I very rarely read fictional books that are surrounding like medical, but I do enjoy like a really good, like murder mystery and like Mm -hmm. detective book or something where, yes, I understand some of the things because of my professional background, but it's so wildly different. And again, sometimes I think when some of these books that I really enjoy get made into movies or TV shows or whatever, I'm like, that's really not how it should have been. Like my mind made it so much better than what they did. Um, <laughs> and I all like, I, I enjoy, you know, what they try to do, but I'm like, guys, the, the movie I made in my head was so much better than what y'all came up with. But speaking of movies, what is your favorite movie? Again, it can be all time or just one that you would recommend for us. Again, there's two because number one, I love Blindside. I just love how the family took in this kid that had nothing and how they really taught him what to do. And then the other one, I love Viola Davis and her Woman King, I thought was a great movie. And I'm really upset that she had had not won a whatever Academy Award for it because she did an awesome job in there. I actually have that movie on my list. Um, oh, right it's now. awesome. It's, it's sitting, it's sitting in my ever growing list of things <laughs> to watch, but it's very, it's closer to the front than it has been in a while. And so um, that, that's exciting. Um, and I, I enjoyed the blind side for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the dynamic of a family and just this idea, you know, it's the story was really like, oh, you know, it's about sports and, but it really came to, no, it's, it's about family and right. how, each one really did impact the other. And I think that play on words, the blind side, I'm like, I think really like the family that ended up, you know, adopting this, you know, young boy that they didn't know how he kind of blindsided their life. Like he came out of nowhere and changed their lives just as much as they changed. And I like, so I love that. So such a good recommendation. And I, maybe I'll have to move the woman King up a little <laughs> bit closer. To yep. the front. Yes, um, you need to. Cause it's a, I think it's an awesome movie. So it looks really good. Again, I'm just sadly one of those people I'll be, Ooh, that's good. And I'll add it to a list. And then before I know it, I've basically spent the entire night, um, adding things to a list <laughs> instead of actually watching anything. So yep. my list gets a little long. Um, okay. Moving on. Last one for favorites is what is your favorite song? Can I have two again? No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's, there's two that, you know, Colorado roots has to be Rocky mountain high. Um, and I love that 
before I even moved to Colorado, but it meant a lot more to me when we lived there. And then the other thing is the song, you know, Don't Worry, Be Happy, because I think, you know, if ever there's bad days, for some reason, it comes on the radio when I'm driving home. So I've decided that has to be my good song. So, And it's crazy to me, sometimes a song will play and I'll hear it and whatever's happening in that moment, like then it becomes kind of like that anthem. And then when I hear it again, I'm like, oh, and you know, like, it's just, it's, it's kind of strange and wonderful how that will happen. And then it turns out to be something where you're like, man, I just needed to hear that song today. I will ask you, what is it like a comfort food or a meal that you really enjoy? Has to be pizza. (laughs) There's no other food. That's the comfort food. It's, it's pizza. And it's either going to, um, back to when I grew up. That was one thing that we always had um, every Friday. My grandparents lived in the same house as us. So, you know, my grandmother would make homemade pizza and I still do that too. So I think that's our comfort food. Okay. I have to ask pineapples or no pineapples. It's just plain, you know, when you, when you're a New York Italian, it's all just plain people call now margarita. That's what we just called was plain pizza. Thank you. I really cannot this is a this is one of those controversial topics, but I really cannot get behind fruit that is not a tomato being on a pizza. Like I'm just I'm not for it. So sorry. But thank you. <laughs> sorry to those who don't agree, but my opinion will not be changed. So do you have any go-to recommendations for like self-care or something that you found that just really helps you to reset as you're going throughout your busy and very full professional life? You know, if I can go and get a massage, that's Number one, once my pool heats up, just getting in my pool and being able to just get in the pool and just kind of forget about everything. If I can start swimming, then um, that helps to take away all those stressors that I had. So those are my two go-to. Well, Nancy, thank you for sharing all of that with us. And um, now I'm hungry for pizza, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's Friday. But I, I really have enjoyed getting to know you more. And like I mentioned at the very beginning, you did that webinar last year and did such a fantastic job. And I know you're speaking in Dallas, but just getting to chat with you, getting to know you more, it's really been fun and enjoyable. So thank you for being on this podcast with us and sharing about yourself and uh, sharing more about this um, whole toxicology realm of nursing that we have to live in from time to time as ED nurses and that you get to live in on a day-to-day basis. So we appreciate your expertise and you sharing with us. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. And I really appreciate the time you spent with me. I want to take this time to thank Nancy for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing your knowledge, your time, and your passion with us. And we are looking forward to spending some more face-to-face time with you at Learn Live in Dallas in May. It's the 15th through the 17th of 2023. To see the agenda, to get registered, you can go to bcn.org backslash bcnlearnlive. You do not want to miss it. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter. And on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.